Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever they'll have me really. Uh, podcast where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Today I've got Justin Goodbread from financiallysimple.com. How are you doing today, Justin? Buddy, I'm good. How are you today, David? I'm awesome. We're going to talk today about business owners and how they think about retirement, but I think to begin with, I should ask you to do a little intro on yourself and give us some background about how you ended up in this space because this is this is a big part of what you do every day, isn't it? It is. It is. So I, I'm a business owner first. That's who I am. I started my first business when I was 15. I sold my first business when I was 21. I sold my second business when I was 35 and my fourth, third business when I was 38. I started my current three businesses over the last 10 years. So I'm a business owner first. I speak business owner. I breathe business owner. I'm like a forever entrepreneur. Um, the way I got into the financial world was actually kind of on a whim. Whenever I was 18 years old, I started by making a lot of good money. I was actually, my brother and I, before we were 18 years old, were making more income than my mom and dad. My mother was, had a master's degree in nursing. and was unbelievable making good money. But my brother and I kicked their tails in income by being entrepreneurs. Now, here's where it gets crazy, David. I went and met this financial guy, right? The Wall Street type person because someone said, you got to open up an investment account. So I went and talked with this cat and he's like, dude, whenever you learn how to make money, come back and see me. And I'm like, brother, man, I'm making more money than my mom and dad. You're telling me that I can't work in this world of investment. So at that point, dude, I was like, I'm done Wall Street. Get out of my way. I don't want to ever talk to Wall Street again. Well, lo and behold, some guy called me out of the blue. Now he's a friend. He said, man, I heard all about you. I, want to, I know that you've been in business. I want you to come to this Wall Street. I bet you can't. I bet you 5,000 bucks. I want to put my money where my mouth is. I bet you 5,000 bucks you can't pass these three tests. What's called the Series 7, the Series 65, and some life insurance tests. You can't pass them in 30 days. I'm like, dude, you're going to bet I can't do something? Anytime someone says you can't do something, I'm like, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I did. I passed them. I got five grand for you. know what? I'm in this world of finance. I did, didn't like it. Hated it. Can't stand it, if you want to be the truth. Because once you're in that world, your job is to find people who want to buy stocks and buy life insurance and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and they want, want to do that. Okay. Yeah, they want you to, you got to go out and sell stuff, right? You got to sell Wall Streets. You got to toe the line. You got to be that Wall Street guy saying, hey, David, I know you're a good business owner, but if you bring me your money, I will teach you how to be wealthy. Buddy, I got to tell you, after consulting hundreds of business owners over my career, that's not the way I think. And that's not the way business owners think. What I learned, though, is this. 80% of our net worth, we business owners, is tied up in our business. Mm -hmm. Every 80%. Now here's where it gets sad is that we only have a 4% possibility, according to the AMA, the Academy of Mergers and Acquisition Advisors, we only have a 4% possibility of selling our business for what we think it's worth. Okay. <laughs> only a 4%. So that means either we don't know what our business is worth or either there's just not buyers to buy our business or we haven't positioned our business to, buy, to sell, right? Yep. Then it's even scarier this way, David, there's only 12% of businesses that will actually transact in, in general, with concession, clawbacks, whatever you want to put on the sale position, only 12% of them must actually sell. So if I think now mathematically, there's 5.4 million businesses that actually employ people in the United States, medium and small, and small firms, 5.4 million, give or take. And now only 12% of them will actually transact. That means that's 4 million or so businesses that will never sell. That means that's 4 million business owners who are stuck with this machine that more than likely are sick of. Okay. At some yeah. point. So the way I got into what I do now as a planner, 
who is a certified financial planner, a certified exit planning advisor, and a certified value growth advisor. The way I got into that world to take a business owner and say, let me show you how to grow your number one asset. Let me show you how to prepare it to transact, to make it where it's attractable to somebody to buy it. But most importantly, when we change our identity, when we move away from that business, we want to make sure that now as our psychology kicks in, that now we are in positions that we don't have to worry about. We don't have to pledge allegiance to Wall Street. We can use them, but we mm -hmm. don't have to change our mindset as business owners. So that's kind of how it led to the world I'm in. Well, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, when I had my business brokerage running, I would meet people that I wouldn't even take as clients because they had some problems with their business. And I said, you know, I can't help you. And then there were people who I thought I could help. At the end of the day, I couldn't. I wasn't able to help them sell their business. And, and what you're telling me reminds me of, you know, just about two years ago, I was, I was invited to come and speak to a couple of financial planners because they had come to this realization that for about a decade, they've been asking their clients who are business owners, what's your business worth and what are you going to sell it for one day? And they were putting that number into the financial plan of these individuals. And it, it took them about 10 years to realize that the number may not be correct because yeah, they started to realize, and, and you and I know this, oftentimes business owners have an inflated view of what their business will be worth. They, they under estimate the difficulty that's going to go into trying to sell it and they underestimate the work that might have to be done in order to just get it into a sellable state, right? All, all points that you address in your business. And so these financial planners realize, you know, we've got some financial plans built upon these assumptions that may not be coming true. And I, I, just the saleability alone would, would cause you to think, you know what, if you're relying upon selling your business as a big part of your retirement plan, then you really need to rethink your entire plan for retirement, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right on the money that most planners, most planners, I'm going to say this definitively, there's 300,000 planners, there's 30 plus thousand certified financial planners. Most planners do not understand business. They got, they have Wall Street. They get it. They understand the Wall Street model. They know what it's like. They can take and build a dynamic portfolio. They know how to do that. These guys and gals are bright. But that's not the way that I'm geared, and that's not the way that your listener group is geared. We're, we're the business owners who, you know, we know that we have to deal with Wall Street at some point, but our business is our number one stock. So what we have here, David, is as you were alluding, is it's actually called company-specific risk. Mm -hmm. and that's a technical term in the valuation world. I know you deal with this in your, in your, in your podcast often, but the, the, the financial firms, they don't connect that okay, my small business that's producing three, four, five, six, seven million dollars a year, whatever the number is, is not going to bring in the same multiple evaluation metrics that Apple is. We're, for right. example, we're not running financials according to the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. We're not going to do it. It doesn't make sense, okay? But we know that Apple's financials, theoretically, all things being true, should be a little bit better than our small business financials. So whenever we're looking at a business, there's a couple of things that ultimately that drive into that valuation. I know that's not the key here, but the planners don't understand it's not necessarily about profitability. Yeah, we can make a lot of money, but how many businesses are extremely profitable they can't transfer because the owner is the epicenter of the business? Mm. It's also about scalability. You know, you've got to have the ability to scale up and scale down like we saw through COVID here. You've got to be able to cond condense the business just as fast as you can move it upwards. That's scalability. You've got to make sure compatibility, sustainability, transferability, and vulnerability, all these abilities, right, for a business. You've got to have all of that in there, but most planners don't get it. They say, well, David, how much is your business worth? Okay, well, you did $10 million last year. Obviously, we all would know that it's five times EBITDA, 
Uh, yeah, good luck with that when it comes time to the actual selling table, right? But yeah. so they put in this number in this calculation, then they run it at an assumed rate. Well, yeah. you know, David, you're, you've been running your business at a 20% growth margin for the last 10 years. It's going to continue that way. What about maturity? What about atrophy? What about, so yeah. they don't understand it. The steam, gets, the steam gets dialed back at a certain point in an entrepreneur's life, Absolutely. especially once they've paid off their bankers, right? Oh, yeah. But when the loans in the business have been paid off, then there isn't that same impetus to keep pushing hard every right. day, right? And I've, and I've seen it many times where, you know, the, the, the growth flattens off as people start to relax a little bit and they want to take Friday afternoons off in the summer and all that kind of stuff, which is all part of the perks of being a business owner. But it, it means that um, the business is, may not look as valuable as it might have just a little while earlier, you know, to a buyer that comes along. Exactly. But we still, the planners still haven't, they, they may even get that, everything you just said. But the one thing they miss is this. They don't do normalization of the profit statement or the financial mm -hmm. statement. They never do. So what I mean by that is, and you and I would recognize that technical term, and I hope your listeners do, but what that means for those of you who may not recognize normalization is I'm a business owner. I'm going to, let's just be keep it super simple. I'm going to pay for my vehicles. Potentially I'm a business. Yeah. I'm going to pay for my gas. I'm going to pay for my health insurance. I'm going to pay for my cell phone. I'm going to pay for my vacation because Larry knows I'm going to do a business meeting on my vacation. I'm going to well, pay for don't, forget about your, don't forget about your teenage daughter's cell phone. Oh, absolutely. Or, or you put your kids on the business, you get a tax advantage for that. Or you put yeah. your house using 280 AG, uh, part of the internal revenue, whatever it is, right? What the business, what the planners often forsake, and this what leads to so much failure after the sale of the business for business owners, is we don't realize that that business that may ultimately sell for $10 million or a million dollars, whatever the number is, we ultimately don't plan as a planning segment, the, the world that I operate in, we ultimately don't plan on the real transference, the real value, the dividend, if you will, that that business is providing us via income. So we may have a business that's doing $10 million in revenue and we're taking a million dollars a year. That's a 10% dividend rate. Now, after we sell it and we pay our taxes, if we use some good tax planning, we do some charitable planning, we pay off the brokers, everything, we may have 8 million or 800,000. I'm sorry, you're not going to get a million dollars on the same tax flow out of that business. You're talking a 12% distribution rate and now you're dealing with poorness in retirement. I, I've, you know, in comments that have come back to me from people whose businesses I've helped to sell, um, this is a consistent thing. And I don't think a lot of business owners realize this because they, they know that you know, while they're running the business, if they do certain things, they're going to have a tax advantage, whether they're, they're correct or not, according to the rules. Right. Um, they do these little things knowing that it's cheaper for them to put the expense in the business rather than pay themselves and pay taxes and then pay the expense personally. But they often fail to to really have an honest understanding of how much stuff that adds up to. And so they pay themselves a certain amount and maybe they write themselves a T4 or W2 for a $100,000 salary. And they believe that they've got the same $100,000 salary as the employee over there that works for the big company. But they really don't because they've got that salary plus all these other perks. And you're right, they, they don't properly account for it in their mind. And then it's a big shock after they sell the business when they actually have to go to their own wallet to pay for these things. And they realize just how hard it is to live the lifestyle they once were on that hundred thousand dollars of income. 
So then the question becomes, David, is how do we fix it? How do we change the paradigm, right? So I'm a, I'm a faculty member of the Exit Planning Institute. I actually teach this to other CFPs and CPAs and attorneys and other professionals like yourself nationally on a national stage. The way that you, the way that you prevent that from happening is you pick out your theoretic retirement date. So let's say COVID, COVID not included, let's say that we were theoretically going to plan to sell in five years. Okay. Well, we know we do evaluation of the business. Now we know what it's truly worth. We don't guess we find a value today. Mm -hmm. We run a scenario and say, okay, your, your finances, everything that you pulled out of the company through your real estate, your, your investment portfolio, your social security, your pensions, whatever you had, everything is going to provide you this much money, whatever this much money is, but you need this much money. So we have a gap. We have what's called a value gap. It's almost like a bridge for those of you listening to audible or audibly through like a podcast. It, it's like a bridge going across a, 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 a bluff, right? So we're on one side, we know we got to make it to the other side, but we have to have a certain value. So we have a value gap. The planner's job and the team's job that you put around you is to build that gap up. Now, how do we do it? We do it through increasing the value of the company, the sellable value of the company. We do it through structuring your personal finances better. We do it through savings. We do to invest. We do it through a number of ways. But ultimately, you come out to this point. As you're looking at this destination, three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 years from now, when you want to retire, you began that exit long before you ever get an offer, long before you ever are ready to sell. You get your team assembled, and then you put your sale date. Now, real estate, we say location, 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 right? That's the idea behind real estate. Business is timing, timing, timing. It always yeah. is. You get it, you get your date out, and you realize that, you, you know, I want to sell on January 1st, 2021. Well, you may end up selling on January 15th, 2022, because of some type of economic situation, or maybe a year back based on readiness. The goal when it comes to building personal financial planning, along with business planning, is to make sure that you're prepared when financial, financially you're prepared at the same junction whenever your business is prepared to sell. There's an intersection there. That's when you sell the business. And when you sell it, you've already got your tax plan in place. You've already got your business transition team in place. You've already got your business ready to move, move it from, from you, the owner, to the second owner. You've already got your mind prepared. Your, your baby is going to be called ugly multiple times during this transaction. They are going to tell you that, man, this business isn't worth what we think it is. You've already prepared your mind. And then when the thing finally transacts, you now have prepared your, your psychology of yourself for the period of five, six, seven, ten years that now your identity is not your business. And that is the key. There's no amount of money in the world that can change your identity and your business, which is why 2%, only 2% of business owners who sell have zero regrets. 98% of business owners who sell their business have regrets because their identity is business. Their identity is tied up in that business. Yeah, I've seen that too. So now you're talking about business owners who take the initiative and are open and willing to work today on something that's going to happen many years in the future to try to increase the likelihood of doing that deal, which we've already talked about how the odds are kind of stacked against a person of actually getting this deal done. And we've talked about specific company risk, <clears throat> excuse me. And we we've talked about just how risky businesses can be. So there needs to be another side to this, right? And, and in my mind, it would, seem to th it would seem to say if a lot of our wealth is tied up in something very risky, then we have to have some kind of other financial plan that gets us away from risk. Can you talk about that idea at all? 
Sure. So typically you're not going to divest yourself from your business overnight. You're mm. not going to take your, your ownership of a business and dilute it down through transition of that shares to a, maybe a team member, a colleague, a child or whatever. It's not going to happen overnight. And the idea of taking and selling this business that you think is the golden goose that's providing you an unbelievable income at a certain point, statistically, you're fighting an uphill battle. Now, it doesn't mean to give up the hope. That's not what I'm saying. You still fight the fight. You still press on. But as you're doing this, there comes a certain point in your life where you have to divest your, you have to redesign your portfolio to where you move into less risky assets. So the most common thing that entrepreneurs do is we go out and buy a building, but we're not very smart. We buy the building that our business is in and therefore oh we consolidate God. the risk. Okay? Justin, Justin, I've got like four different videos on this channel about this very problem. If you like yeah. real estate, buy a building with another revenue stream. Absolutely. So you, now you made yourself double risky because we just made mistake number one. So we don't want to necessarily do that. I'm not saying to do, I'm not saying it's a bad move, but you doesn't de-risk yourself. Yeah. It may be a wise business move and it may be a good financial move, but it's not a de-risking of your portfolio. So what we do systematically over time is we always start with taxes first. Taxes is your driver. I often say the internal revenue code is the largest, is the greatest wealth creation tool there is available to us mankind today. It's unbelievable. If you understand the way the internal revenue code, you've got a forward thinking tax advisory team on your side, then they're going to tell you, look, you may end up using a cash balance plan where you can put a $400,000 a year out of your business, get a tax deduction for it and divest and dilute, I'm sorry, diversify your asset away from your business. That's an unbelievable strategy. It may be as simple as you're just getting started to pay yourself first strategy that mm. so many people talk about and max out a Roth IRA while you can, right? Mm. And so the, the goal behind financial planning for business owners is a double-pronged approach. The first is you always grow the business. It is your largest asset and you can build it where you can sell. You have to focus on that. That's a financial planning move. The second prong simultaneously is you're constantly building up other assets that, yeah. are not, that are not dependent upon you, your ability, the golden goose of this business. And you could do that through stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I like, I like ETFs. It's the most passive way for us business owners to deal with. It is Wall Street. I'm going to sound like I'm talking sideways. It is Wall Street, but I don't have to think about it. If my business does 10% and it makes 6%, so be it. I don't it's, care. It's the, the, the fundamental thing, though, is get profits out. Because, because I think one of the traps that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is that if they happen to have extra earnings in their business, they start to get creative about how they can use that money mm -hmm. to grow and do new things and do different things. And I'm, I'm constantly saying to people, look, business is risky. If you have extra profit, get it out. Put it into something far less risky so that if something really bad should happen, we have no idea what the future holds. Six months ago, we probably would not have thought that we would face a global pandemic. And here we are, right? And, and these things come out of left field often that we can't, we, we, we can dream them up, but are we really prepared for them? You know? Well, David, to your point, here's the advice. Now, this is not advice. I can't do this on a show, but this is the common advice I often tell business owners. Um, this is generic. Please do not make any action upon what I'm going to say. Talk with your planners. Talk with your advisors. Okay, that's my disclaimer. But whenever a client comes to us, I have some basic guidelines that I follow. And these guidelines are age old. They were originally written in the book called The Richest Man in Babylon called mm -hmm. Pay Yourself First. There was yeah. a book not too long ago talks about profit first. Literally, the title of the book is Profits First. There's a number of ways to calculate this, but here, here it is in a, in a nutshell. You always make sure your personal finances are secure first. 
It's like when you're flying on an airplane, you put your mask on yourself before you put it on the child beside you, right? You make sure your personal finance are in place first. What do you start with? You start with the basic emergency fund. I can't tell you how many, how many business owners don't even have a basic emergency fund at home. You start there. We start yeah. building the emergency fund up at home. Then, then we build the emergency fund up for the business. And you're saying, holy cow, Justin, look how much cash I have. Yep. And cash got us through COVID and we, we now can deploy it and come out of this thing making more money in the business and our personal finances. So yeah. we always have our cash first in the business and the person. Then we have a T-chart in place, a T-chart. Let's, as an example, let's say you're making $100,000 gross revenue in your business. The second thing we have to do is we have to figure out on one side of that T-chart, how much money are you living your lifestyle with? Are you spending 50000 a year? Great. Are you spending 80000 a year? Great. Whatever that lifestyle is, what we're trying to figure out is what is the net number of your gross revenue? And can we deploy that outside the business and have it in a position to where it's not affected by taxes or that creates diversity? So for business owners, we make a lot of money. Many times we're in the highest tax brackets. So we go basics. We start with 401ks. You start with SEP simples. You start with real estate outside your business. You start mm. with buying another business. There's a lot of ways you can go here, but taxes have got to be the key. So as you build your cash up first, then mm -hmm. you deploy the surplus above your living expenses to a diversification asset, a diversified asset. Once you go to that avenue, if you say, look, I want to grow my business. I want to hammer down. Great. Let's do it. But now let's deploy that cash properly into the business so that it's doing one of two things. Number one is pulling you out of the epicenter of the business so it's not dependent upon you. Now you, you increased your odds so you can sell it. Or number two, let's deploy that cash into strategic things, which will sure up our multiple, the valuation yeah. multiple of your business. Now, you, I know, would, you know, Justin, when you're talking about personal emergency funds and business emergency funds. A lot of people who are inclined to be entrepreneurs who get excited by business, they hear that kind of language and they go, Oh my God, I would rather scratch out my eyes than be saving in a piggy bank, etc." But I'll tell you, having gone through this myself and knowing many people who have after the money's been accumulating, it becomes exciting because it, you know, I actually say that the, these funds are deployed. It, the, you are spending them to get better sleep because when the money is sitting there, you sleep more soundly. You're not so worried about hitting a sales target for the quarter or, or if a certain deal is going to come into, you know, happen on time or if you're going to get paid or if an account, you know, a receivable goes bad or whatever. So many people spend years of their lives in a, in a high adrenaline stressful state because they, they, are running their business in a marginal way, oh, never giving themselves any cushion. And, and it's, it's, it, it is not what owning a business is for. Owning a business is supposed to provide for you. Yeah, so I often say we have to, be, we have to be, get comfortable as business owners making a zero return. Now, that shocks people. Why do I say that? Well, because the company-specific risk for Apple may be six but the company specific risk for a startup business may be 300 mm. on a number on a merit calculator. It may be for a business that's 10 years old. It may be 40. So we've got to get comfortable. So we use the term dry powder. Think about like in the old days, they had gunpowder that was dry in a boat. They would stock up this dry powder. Doesn't mean they're going to use it, but they had the ability to deploy it at any time. That's the way cash is. And if ever we've learned a lesson, it's been recently in this COVID situation, business owners who, and I can, 
I can prove this mathematically. I'm laying PLs out from clients right now. The business owners who had the dry powder, they had the emergency funds at home sitting in cash, giving them pillow time. You said sleep. I say pillow time. They can go to sleep at night, not worry about if I don't close the sale. They can tell a client to go fly a kite because they don't have to have the revenue, okay? Yep. So they, if they had the money at home, they had peace of mind on the home front, and they had the cash sit in the business, they had peace of mind in the business. And whenever some of these clients were mandated by the CDC to shut down the office for 12 weeks and they couldn't see people, or whenever they were having to still have expenses with no revenue coming in for 12 weeks, they weren't relying upon that crazy PPP loan or the idle loan or anything else. They knew they had enough capital set back. But what I saw happen was this, David, because they had prepared their minds, they were calm. Yep. They were not panicked. Mm -hmm. They now have been strategic in their business. They deployed that dry powder, that capital at the proper time. And they were able to increase their net worth outside the business and inside the business. The very thing that they've been wanting to do all these years to grow their business it just took a little bit more time, but they did it with less stress and now have substantially higher net worth than those who took all the cash, redeployed it back into the business and never mm -hmm. took it out of it or took it all out, put it over here somewhere where they could never touch it. Those individuals who did that, they were fearful. They yeah. couldn't make strategic moves during this time period. They cannot go into acquisition modes. They couldn't do employee turnover like they needed to do to strip their team. They couldn't tell a client to fly a kite. They were now are married to this beast. It's called Frankenstein to me. You know, Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein built this monster and ultimately the monster ended up destroying his family and everything else, including his own life. That's what business owners are doing. And the only way you're going to get out of it, friends, I'm telling you this, I've done this for 25 years and I had the ability to consult people, hundreds of business owners yearly. I've reached national, national status with this one statement. Your business is not there to cause stress. Hmm. But the only way that you're going to do that is if you have a written plan, a written personal plan and a written business plan. And if you don't have it in writing, it's not going to happen. And you're riding a raging bull. You know it, you feel it, you're tired of it. How yeah. do you resolve it? You come back, you put it in writing, you figure out exactly where you're going to go. And then you lay out a map to get you there. That's how yeah. you fix the problem. I, I've often heard the expression, you know, having a tiger by the tail, you know, it, like it's exciting and it's going somewhere quickly, but there's no control, right? You've got no control and it's, you're just worried and hopeful that where you end up is going to be okay. And a lot of the times it's not. And you know, Justin, I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to come by today because, you know, I, a lot of the times on this channel, we talk about buying businesses and a lot of people want to bring that conversation into leverage and how we can get the maximum leverage to buy a business with the least amount of investment and blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, I talk about making sure you have these reserve funds because, you know, at a, at a point of maximum leverage, of course, one of these risky small business is, is even more risky than it would normally be. And, and the, the danger is there. Um, if people want to learn more about the ideas and concepts that you're talking about, Justin, where can we, where can we meet you online and learn some more? Sure. Most definitely. If you Google my name, you're going to find out we have financially simple. It's a blog. We have lots of content on there, guys. We try to give away 99.99% of the information. If we knew the other 0.01, we would give it away. Okay. We give away everything. You can have over 500 videos on YouTube. There's over 400 podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. You can connect with on social or candidly, David, you can even pick up the book called the ultimate sale. We're actually deal with this. I have personally sold three businesses for a profit. This isn't my first rodeo mm. and I've walked hundreds of people in through this business world to prepare them to sell their business for a profit.
So you can read the book where I talk about that process. We have our second book coming out here very soon talking about how do you increase the value of your business. Then our third book, which is January, is going to deal with personal finances for business owners. We don't follow Wall Street advice. We, beat, we march our own beat. And so we got to approach things differently as business mm -hmm. owners. So if you want to connect with me, Google my name. If you're going on social, the podcast, on iTunes, anywhere you want to connect with us. Awesome. And I'll put financiallysimple.com in the show notes as well for people that might be driving right now or whatnot. Uh, Justin, thank you very much. It's, it's great to meet you. And uh, just a reminder to all the listeners, if you're interested in business stuff like this, what we talk about every day, you should head over to davidcbarnett.com. On the left-hand side, there's a place to sign up for the email list. It'll make sure that you never miss one of these conversations or new videos. And with that, we'll say see you later.